0: Welcome to Leveling Up with Gary and Jill, where trailblazing entrepreneurs take you on their journeys. Your hosts are Gary Cuson, GameStop co-founder and former CEO of FedEx Kinkos, and Jill Lewis, a C-suite advisor to businesses from startup to Fortune 50. Each episode brings you into the heart of critical business conversations, guiding entrepreneurs towards those enlightening aha moments. So lean in. And listen closely as we set off on a journey to success.
1: Hello, this is Gary Cusen and my co-host Jill Lewis.
0: Hi, Gary. It's good to be here.
1: Oh boy, we're off and running. Uh, And thought we'd start our first episode uh, talking about what you can expect as a listener. In, in, In a nutshell, what it is is you are going to get to eavesdrop on mentoring sessions, and as Jill and I will talk about our backgrounds, you'll see we both have a long histories in business, and mentoring has become very important to both of us, and we both have been doing it for a very long time. We are screening currently uh, not just the men, not just the mentees that you will hear in our first few episodes, but for other mentoring candidates to find those who have the most interesting situations, uh, bright and articulate, they can really talk about what their issues are and also pretty foremost in Jill's in my mind, have good entertainment value and good educational value.
0: Well for and the people listeners. who are really ready to hear that and make an impact in their lives, because if you're beaten on a shut door then that's not a benefit to them or to our audience.
1: That's exactly right. The reason we are together as co-hosts in this is that uh, we are not gonna always agree with each other. And I think that we will probably bring interesting perspectives, though maybe different perspectives to each mentee and to each situa- situation. And I think it, it just will serve us all really well. Uh, yeah,
0: there's cross-cultural, there's generational and there's stylistic. I find that sometimes if people are trying to soft pedal some advice or they think they have a great allegorical way of expressing it, but you're dealing with people who are more straight on, that people aren't gonna pick up on that. I see that a lot, particularly in the corporate space of people think they have given feedback. They think they are giving appropriate coaching and they completely miss that the person needed to hear this isn't going well for you, and a pivot needs to happen, or consequences are real. And I'm always surprised that people are surprised when we get to that point where where something more needs to happen.
1: Oof, this is going to be so much fun. Our goal for kind of the first episode is to give backgrounds on each of us and how we think about mentoring. So, Jill, I love listening to your background. <laughs> And I think the listeners will, too. So why don't you start?
0: All right, sure. And it's kind of interesting because for me, the most boring thing in the world is me talking about <laughs> me. But nope, it's. I do think that it's important for people to hear a context of where people are coming from. So I was born in what was called at the time Freedman's Hospital, which should be interesting to people given that I'm not actually 100 right now. And yet I was born in a place called Freedmen's Hospital, which is hearkening back to when African descent people were enslaved and newly freed in this country. And so to be born into a space with that name just tells you a little bit about the inflection points then later in my own life, that hospital became renamed as Howard University Hospital, where I went to college. Uh, My father was a medical student at Howard, which is how I ended up there and being born there, but grew up here in Dallas, Texas, truly a daughter of Dallas. I was in the junior league. I was here when the only reason you went north of 635 was to ride horses. And yet so much of my experience was really deeply colored in minority being the only in some places, went to 12 years of Catholic school, started off when Ursuline Academy had an elementary. And let's just say that experience really colored how I thought I should prosecute the rest of my life. And it's why I went to Bishop Dunn for high school, because I wanted to be in a place where I was not the only and where diversity was the norm. So fast forward, I decide this was good. I think I'm going to go to Howard. And I chose Howard, one, because it had an excellent journalism department. And by that time, I had decided that I thought that was my path. But we'll talk a little bit more about how that ended up not being my path. And I ended up a lawyer instead. But one of the things that was so important to me was looking at the success of my family. And to that point, We had all attended historically black colleges and universities. And so, looking at that and thinking what would make us successful, what had made my family successful, was going down this path. So, that's how I decided to choose Howard and chose it among all the other universities. And again, I finished valedictorian in my high school. I did perfectly fine on the SAT, I had a lot of choices of universities. I turned down a full ride to the University of Texas based solely on my scores and my um, class rank. But I chose Howard and it too was one of the best choices I could have made, not only for the quality of education but for what it did for me as a person. And that for me has been the backbone of my, my strength as a human. And that time at Howard.
1: I learn more about you every time I hear about your background. It's incredible and I'm sitting here, I'm kind of shrinking in my seat because boy, my background is so boring. Uh, I I grew up in a small town in East Texas, Texarkana. Uh, On the Texas side, the main street in town was State Line Avenue and one side was Arkansas and one side was Texas and the Arkansas side had all the liquor stores, and the Texas side had all the churches. Uh, family was middle class, probably upper middle class. We owned the furniture. My family owned the furniture store in Texarkana and the bowling center in Texarkana, and both of them played a very big role in my background. Uh, when I was 12, turning 13, I had become such a behavior problem. My parents used to have to not just bring me to middle school but take me into the principal's office because I had already caused trouble. So I, I set some kind of record for number of licks with the paddle. And my parents decided the only way they knew to deal with that was they put me in the furniture company's warehouse. And they said, you're going to be working in the warehouse every Saturday, every summer, and every holiday Till you go to college. And this is where you'll be able to be found. Little did they know that was the best thing that ever happened to me and not for the reasons they thought. Uh, what was so cool for the first time in my life, I had friends. I became friends with everyone in the warehouse and I earned their respect through my hard work. They called me the grain of salt and the pepper shaker. There were about 20 10 to 20 people working in the warehouse i was the only white guy and after they realized i wasn't a plant by my father and i proved i could break down a box car or break down a truckload of mattresses by myself i uh, earned their respect and i spent the rest of my high school years delivering furniture in a 50-mile radius of Texcana, unloading box cars and hanging with my friends and i had such it was so helpful to me in learning how to socialize and also coming to grips with things like I'm good at math I'm pretty good at math I couldn't play dominoes with those guys they when they start throwing the bones and pounding the chalk and I there were just so much I couldn't do but I there's so much I was able to do with them and and it ended up playing a very big role because uh late 60s in Texarkana. I I became president of the student body of the high school going into the year when Dunbar High School was shut down. And the general belief was Texarkana would go the way of Bogalusa, Louisiana, uh, all the towns that blew up, Mississippi burning, that whole time, the whole time period after Voter Rights Act had been passed. And it didn't. And no one quite knew why. And the reason was before my senior year, I knew I was, I was a known entity in the black community in Texarkana and I was hanging with the guys and I, and we, I set up a meeting with the officers from Dunbar high school and said, we got to do, what are we going to do to make your experience better than it would otherwise be? And to keep everything, everything working. Okay. And there were a bunch of, there were a bunch of, issues and there was there were an array of personalities but the bottom line was let's see if you can do something easy let's have a soul band for homecoming and because they were sure we couldn't do that and so I said well let's do that and uh, sure enough we did that and sure enough nothing bad happened although well, I, nothing bad happened there was a kerfluffle or two parents came and picked up their kids and took them home white parents came and picked up their white kids uh things like that but but not much. So I'm telling you this long story because at my graduation, our speaker was Ross Perot, who had just been on the cover of Fortune magazine as the wealthiest man in America, America's first billionaire. His company, EDS, had just gone public. And I got to sit right next to him. And I got a surprise award, a national leadership award for my role in keeping the lid on uh, Texarkana while we integrated a, a high school with a long storied history that was really important in the black community uh, and integrated our Texas, Texarkana, Texas Senior High School. Ross loved that. He took me under his wing. He flew me back to Dallas with him the next day. He's He was big on leadership. And I tell you all that because he ended up backing me my first con- company. So I went from. Which
0: you know you're going to have to unpack, right? Well, I will. I will. Yeah, I I,
1: I will. But the problem is, I got so much stuff to unpack in my life in general. So I'm going to skip around here because there are a lot of stories. So I went to the University of Texas. And frankly, just to be defiant to my parents, I told them I didn't need their money. I didn't need their involvement in, in applying to college. And I went to the University of Texas, paid my way through UT. Did not know what I wanted to do, but at my brother's wedding in Wichita, Kansas, when I was a junior, everyone was w- whispering and pointing at a guy at the wedding and saying he's the richest man in Wichita, Kansas, and he went to Harvard Business School. By the end of the weekend, I was Harvard Business School rich, Harvard Business School rich. I know what I'll do. I'll go to Harvard Business School. Came out of Harvard Business School in the department store business, another fun story that I'll kind of, will unpack at a later date did that for a few years and developed a point of view about the rise of specialty stores and the decline of department stores. Just as one of my best buddies from HBS came through, who was a partner at Bain and talked about the uh, emerging video game industry, I had a lot of points of view about uh, specialty store channel would become a really important, if not dominant channel of distribution, and we became he quit his job at Bain. I quit my job at the department store. Ross Perot backed us. And we, st- we opened the first video game store in the world in May of 1983 in North Park Center in Dallas. The rest was history. the, the comp- We grew, we took the company public. We bought our largest competitor, who only condition was we all change our name. It was Babbage's. We changed the name to GameStop. And shortly thereafter, I left to start a new company. Uh, Long story there, but I started, co-founded a company called Laura Mercier Cosmetics. And you know that because you helped me start that company, Jill. Uh, And did that, sold it to Neiman Marcus uh, and had another couple of interesting exploits in the business world and then had the opportunity to step into Kinko's. Uh, That was a turnaround situation. I actually, part of the deal with... The private equity firm that owned Kinko's was they would give me a bonus if within six to 12 months I told them they should shut it down uh, because it was hemorrhaging cash. So from hemorrhaging cash, we went to my first year, $120 million of EBITDA from negative $11 million. Then we went year two to $180 million of EBITDA, and then Fred Smith walked in my door the next year and next thing you know, FedEx bought us, and we changed our name to FedEx Office. I spent two great years reporting to Fred, uh, which were the two best years of my business career, and then I jumped into the world of private equity and spent 13 years at TPG as a senior advisor to, and you know all this too, because you kept, you, you were all along the way, Jill, uh, and I did that until I left, and currently am Literally, just helping. Very. We've got probably. I think I counted ten, ten different family businesses now th- throughout my four kids and their significant others, their spouses, and Carlene, and uh, and I spend my time kind of bouncing around in their various activities, and all along the way from the outset, I've been mentoring.
0: We're clearly mission-oriented people.
1: Yes, that's right.
0: But that that predisposed us to getting together.
1: You know, that is so funny. And and looping back on that, because I was going to kind of save that when I was talking about why mentoring. Until you have become very close friends with people, and you drive to deliver furniture, and you get to a house to deliver the furniture, and you go up on the front porch, and the door opens, and a white person is standing there and saying, You can come in my house. He cannot tell him to go get in a truck. And until you've seen that, stop in and stop out, it's it changed it, it changed me even as a, a young teen. The casual and callous indignities that I saw, I couldn't believe. From that point forward, I really started recognizing I had an advantage that was simply unavailable to the others, and that's that's it. That's completely wrong, and that's how that's where I developed a point of view that I would always, and in any way I could, give back to try and level a playing field. Anything that I could do, yeah. Uh, so.
0: I know we talked about mentorship. Yes. And I want to bring us back to that because I think that mentor can be such an overused term and people don't understand what, can I assign a mentor? Does a mentor happen organically? What does it really mean to need a mentor? I'm often looking at people who are on television and they're trying to explain some horrible thing that's befallen them. And I say to myself, I saw this one coming. I wish you'd called me. Even people who don't know me. It's like, <laughs> if you had just called me, I could have told you the following. So how do you think about mentorship?
1: Well, it it's a great question. And I I believe I am fairly I may not be unique with this, but the way I mentor is seems to... By the way, I never paid any attention to mentoring other than I was doing it and enjoying it and believing I was doing some good. It never occurred to me there was a world of mentoring, there are rules of the road, there's process to do it. It just that hasn't been me. And in fact, I'm an episodic mentor, meaning I am here when a call comes in. I do not... I do not mentor people, you know, every Friday or once a month or once a quarter. Yet I've mentored people for 20 years and it may be I don't hear from them for 3 years and then I'm very involved with them in for a 4-month period. You know, and so my what I do is quite different. Now it's but it's different in a lot of ways. So I have this belief that Everyone carries baggage around with them in their life. And, and inside, and in my mind's eye, I see someone carrying lots of suitcases, all packed under all their arms. And inside those bags are every good and bad thing that have ever happened to them. And they, they carry all of that with them in their lives. And, it, and from all of those comes a prism through which they view the world. And I believe those prisms are much like fingerprints because no two people's baggage have the same baggage, have the same things in them. If you believe that, if you believe that everyone views the world through a prism of their own background and experiences, then I find it hard to believe that I can tell someone what they, quote, should do. Because I can't see through their prism. So as it works out, the Harvard Business School teaches through the Socratic method. And as I learned going through HBS, I made the best grades I've ever made in my life there. I, for the first time in my life, felt competent. I was in a room full of very smart people. And I realized I could hold my own where I had not realized that with my brothers and my parents pounding on me all the time and i reveled in an environment where there's questioning and answering and i developed my mentoring style literally features the first big thought since i can't get behind their prism i can't tell them what to do but what i can do is i can ask a lot of questions And keep asking questions until I see things start crystallizing as far as what is the real issue. And then I ask questions that try to get them to get at what are their alternatives. I don't tell them what their alternatives are because maybe through their prism, I might match two or three of their alternatives, but maybe there are two or three more. I help them get at that. And then I help them think about what are the strengths and weaknesses of each of the courses of actions that they've outlined. Now, what I also feather on because I've, and again, this will come out over the history of our podcast, but I have a lot of crazy stories. And I have, and I love thinking about when I listen to someone describing a situation or some position that they're in, I love going through my brain and finding a story that could be relevant to them. And then I say, I, I know this is crazy, but I got to tell you this thing that happened to me once. And I'm going to tell you what I did may not be what you would have done. And that's good. But but it reminds me so much of this story. So I tell a story. And as I tell it, I do watch the eyes of the person I'm talking to. And I win when I see a move to an aha moment. They Oh, wait. You mean, and then they start rephrasing whatever it was I was saying and applying it in their situation, and that's when I know I've got to win. You know, th- this person, and the reason it's so important for me that a mentee comes at a solution on their own is because they will act on it. If I gave them something, if I gave them something, it they. They may not. They could talk themselves out of it on their way home. They or could, they're
0: not ready to do yeah, it. You know, or they're, whatever. there's still resistance. You have opened a door for them. And, that and that's
1: all. Them. And for me, I'm done. And, you know, and I tell them, I always tell them, let me know. Let me know what you did. And let me know how it worked out. I always tell them that. But I never tell them, you better do what I said. And by gosh, you know, and that just so I do it. And I've evolved with that to where I can do it in my sleep. I love doing it, and if I'm any good at it, with a with a person that I'm having a conversation with, uh, I can see that aha moment, and, and it fills me up more than it fills them up because maybe by you know maybe I have actually helped them. Time will tell, but maybe they're thinking about this differently. Maybe all they needed to do was have someone listen. Maybe all they needed was to have someone question them and they're recalibrated and then they go on. It's their journey and their life. And I don't want to do more than that. And it, for whatever reason, they keep coming back. My mentees come. Sometimes it's just a call. Sometimes I'm just coming through town. Do you have time? I just like to update you on, you know, and those are the things that just, that that's, for me, that's success. And that that's I've had a good day. If something good came of it, if something didn't good come of it, then I look in the mirror.
0: Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Um, my husband started this nonprofit called At Last. And it is a residential environment for children living in poverty. It's based on his own understanding of his experience and what really helped him to come out of that situation being education. But living in an environment of poverty is a detriment to even trying to prosecute an education. But when you look at the true mission of At Last, it's to create more proficient learners. It's not to teach them a specific set of skills, math changes, what anything that you're doing, when you look at just the race of technology, teaching someone any one thing does not stand the test of time. But making them a proficient learner is what will stand the test of time. And I think that's what the mentoring experience, as you're describing, it really does. You're making them a more proficient thinker and problem solver. So they're later able to take themselves back through the questioning of what is my real issue? What would be an optimal solution?
1: And in the future, perhaps being able to realize, wait a second, all he did was help me frame up what is the real problem, what are the real potential solutions, what are the strengths and weaknesses. Why can't I just go through that exercise myself? Let me just let me just open up my notebook and sort see if I can sort my way through it. And if I feel like I hit a, a speed bump, I'll just give him a call. But but that's kind of that make him a proficient learner. I love that. And of course, Randy did that. Oh, that's that is that's really good
0: yeah he's another kind of accidental mentor and guys will raise their hand and they'll say in some public forum and randy bowman is my mentor and randy's looking around like we just had (laughs) lunch a couple times and i hear you saying that too like what i'm your mentor we just had lunch a couple times but people also model mentoring and when i think about what ross models as a human that then you decided you would model as a human that then i decided i would model as a human is is part of that because it happens in little ways i think i told you the story of in all the businesses that we have been in together it's always burning platform it's always (laughs) what can you do week to week month to month quarter to quarter And it better have some concrete results. But when the phone would ring at any time of the day, and it was one of your kids, you stopped it all down and you answered the phone. How did I know that? Because sometimes you were in a meeting with your general counsel and you stopped it all down and said, wait a minute, this is Liz Bug. (laughs) This is Eric. This is Ben. I need to take this call. And the fact that you did that told me that how you manage this, can never be something that takes you away from your core assignment, which is to be a member of your family, to be a leader of your family, to help to get them to the next level. These people that you've created, and that's your first mentoring assignment. Hmm.
1: That yeah, that's that's an interest. That's interesting way to look at it. Huh. That's great. Well, we're gonna I. Jill, I think we're going to have fun here. I can't wait till we get some great situations to a-
0: It's an evolution. I want to tell some stories on you a little bit. Because-
1: oh, no. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, and, and they all wind up good. And I don't think they're, they're oversharing. <laughs> oh, but I can, I can remember coming into your office and realizing that I hadn't properly thought through a problem and it was your questions to me, I would come thinking, I'm reporting something very important. And I'd get a bunch of questions back that said, I was not ready to present that problem. And so that's part of what I think people will learn. Do you have a problem that's even ready to present? It is also one of my management theories. Don't bring me a dead bird. (laughs) So think about how a cat will bring you a dead bird, they lay it at the porch in front of your feet, and you do not know what that means or what you're supposed to do with that. (laughs) The cat has done this thing and is very pleased
1: with itself. Very intentional.
0: Very intentional. But you're like, it's a dead bird. What do I do with that? And what I like to tell the folks that I work with, particularly junior associates, don't bring a dead bird. Bring something that I can interpret and help you with. Uh, This
1: is, I'm telling you, this is, I think we are onto something here, Jill. I am looking forward, looking forward to exploring, mentoring, and having some great situations for listeners to listen to and for us to scratch our heads about and think about how can we approach it in a way that best helps mentee get to wherever they need to go.
0: Absolutely. Well, and people need an opportunity to figure out how do we resolve the world's problems? We got a lot of problems out there. You know, I walked in here today and I was talking to you about how some of my faith in what we had already solved as a society has been shaken by the last several years, heck, by the last 48 hours. Yeah. But if we actually spent much more energy on how do we understand how to solve problems in business, in life, in whatever one is called to do, then I think we move people forward. And we're both kind of in a quasi-legacy part of our careers. You know, we're good. We, we can keep it moving. We can stop doing it. But we're still going because I think we want people to benefit from the paths that we have taken, that while many more people in business who have a CEO background look like you as a white guy and not like me, I represent less than 1% of my profession as a African-American female equity partner at a major law firm. I am less than 1%. So I cannot retire until I have made more of me.
1: Yeah. This this is going to be great. I am excited and looking forward to our first episode with a mentee coming soon. This is is going to be great. Let's see where this goes. Thanks.
0: That's it for today's episode of Leveling Up with Gary and Jill. Thanks for joining us. And don't forget to subscribe, like, and share this podcast. For more inspiring stories and breakthrough moments, visit Gary and Jill Podcast.com. See you next episode.